You may all be seated. And as you do so, I would encourage you to grab your Bible and to be turning to Exodus 20, where it was that we were last week, and we will continue to be this week hearing from our God on the Ten Commandments. As we think about this, as we reflect on these things, I find it a joy and a privilege to be with you all here once again this week. We will be in the second half of the chapter, but for context, we will read the whole chapter. So if you would please now at this point hear from the Lord's holy, inspired, and errant word. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth below or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I am the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, nor you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of Him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. And the Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the people of Israel, You have seen for yourself that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make gods of silver to be with me, nor shall you make for yourself gods of gold. An altar of earth you shall make for me, and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. And every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and bless you. If you make me an altar of stone... You shall not build it of hewn stones, for if you wield your tool on it, you profane it. And you shall not go up by steps to my altar, that your nakedness be not exposed on it. This concludes the reading of the word. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you for your word. 
We ask now for the preaching of it, that it would be in accordance with your will, your word, and your ways, that you would encourage and prepare our hearts to hear from you even now. We love you, O Lord, and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So today, we step into a two-week sermon series that is a bit not the norm for our church where we have been in Genesis for a couple of years. And as we came to the end of Genesis 36, we had a bit of a transition point as we were heading towards the life of Joseph. As we were moving in that direction, we found that it would be beneficial to move forward a little bit. So we're flying over a little bit of history here, that of the life of Joseph, that of the life of the beginning of the people in exile in Egypt, as we saw at the start of Exodus that we are now coming in, a bit of a parachute drop, if you will, thinking in military terms, and coming behind these lines so that we can see what God has for us from Genesis, or from Exodus 20, excuse me. From Exodus 20, we can learn much about God, and really it is a continuation of His people. It's a story that is true, that is factual, that we must see this as His Word for His people, and it has application for us today, as well as truths that we must learn about his people from a time that we know often little about. So as we step into this, we're now hundreds of years past where we were in Genesis. They are no longer in exile. They're living in the wilderness. They've come to the base of Mount Sinai in chapter 19. And here in chapter 20 is what we so famously have heard and think of as the Ten Commandments, or often the Ten Words. These Ten Words being helpful for how it is that we should relate to God, as we thought about last week and talked about and and saw from His Word how it is we should relate to Him. Today, a little bit of a play on words, but we want to see how it is that we should relate to others. As we do so, as we see how it is that we should relate to others, I think there is much that we must think about and know. For our relationship to others is bound fully in and under that of our relationship to God. So that of those first commandments that we've covered last week, those set the ground for how it is that we must relate to others. We cannot take these as just simply descriptive of how it is that we should walk through our relationships and lives with our neighbor or other people. Which actually brings me to a point that one of our young people last week asked me, what is the greatest commandment? For those Bible scholars out there, you might go that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. I'm paraphrasing a touch, but we walk through this and we see that this is the component that all ten of these commandments, all ten of these words are found within that place. So last week, talking through loving the Lord your God, as we preached and heard from His Word about loving the Lord your God, we now see that second part of how it is that we should love your neighbor or other people. Thus, how do we relate to people? How do we relate to others? Should we look at this and find ourselves heading towards a a bit of descriptive verses of doing and working, and striving, and trying to earn something, perhaps? Actually, our our passage before us today and all of Scripture would tell you pretty strongly and authoritatively no. That there is a commandment here that we need to look at these things and that we must actually walk through these things in a way that are helpful for us as God's people, that will benefit us as God's people, 
But we must remember that this is here for us. The law is here for us because Jesus kept the law. We could not. We cannot. And furthermore, that Jesus made us right to God. And there's an invitation in making us right to God to then step into places like this and out of worship and duty and love because He is holy and other to do these things. So it's nothing that we can earn in this passage. That doing these things does not make us right with God. To that point, my hope and purpose today is that you would see that Jesus has kept these perfectly. And our weakness in keeping these laws, which we are commanded to do, that we see that Jesus has made us right with God. That keeping these laws does not make us right, though we are told that we should do them. So for us today, there is a lesson for us in how it is that we should relate to others. But how is it? Should we relate to others? By becoming more like our God and following His ways out of love. So to that end, before I go much further, I want you to look with me in our Bibles as we are going to see three things. In verses 12-17, through you're going to observe godly boundaries with others. That of the second half of our Ten Commandments. Verses 18-21, through 21, we are going to see how thinking properly about God will instruct how we should relate to others as well. And third, we will observe terms are set when God speaks in verses 22-26. through 26. So to that end, as we get into our passage before us today, as we see these things, last week I talked a little bit about the three uses of the law. They are all clearly meant to restrain sin and create healthy laws for a society. Some would look at this and actually argue that that is what is here as this function for us today, and I actually believe that there's much more to it than that, and we need to remember the threefold use of the law that we talked about last time. It is for teaching, it is for restraining evil, but it's for helping us to understand and to teach us and to know what it is we should believe about God, or the third use of the law, as Calvin would call it. But we get to this and we see this today. What's before us, actually, as we get to that first verse of our passage, verse 12, we have a sermon for children. All of God's words should be for all of God's people. But we have something right here that is going to start with our youth and our children. So listen up, those of you who are youth and children here today, because there's much that we're going to see here in verse 12 that many of you have probably heard your parents and heard, you, heard them quote these or say these things to you. What does it say in verse 12? Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving to you. As we did last week, as we saw much of these Ten Commandments are quoted elsewhere, and as we see them through the ministry of Jesus, and we see it through the ministry of the first century church, and as we looked back, we looked at the creation account as well, this has those same components as well. And we can actually go to the more often quoted place of Ephesians 6.1, that some of you, some of our youth in this room, maybe have memorized this, that we think about this, and what is it that it says, Children? You should obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Now there's something in there that this passage in Exodus 20 didn't have, that it says there in Ephesians 6, in the Lord. So our parents, our moms and dads need to be doing things in the Lord and the people of God are wrapped up in this passage of doing things 
in the, in the Lord, that there is an implied reality here in Exodus 20 because of where it's couched, where it's put here against the other Ten Commandments, that this is for your benefit, that he gave you moms and dads that are in the Lord, obeying his commands, teaching you his commands, is, is helping you understand the Ten Commandments, to know that they're actually good for you. And what does it say that you're going to get? You're going to get long life, right? You're going to get days that you might get to be 16 or 18 or 30 or 40 like mom and dad. Or maybe you get to be really old like grandma and grandpa and be 60 or older. I realize I just upset a lot of grandparents in the room calling you very old. But hear this, though, that as we walk through this, that this passage actually is not just about long life. Because as we all know, that there is hardship. There are difficulties here on this side of the earth. And actually, this passage, the ESV, our version that we read from, does a really good job of translating this, and that it doesn't say on earth, that your days will be long on earth, that it says in the land that God has given you. So there's a promise, not just for today, there's a promise that in the land, that this is an eternal promise, that this is a promise for those in the family of God, that eternity is certain. That God has done things for you that you will have a long life in Him. That you will live in Him if you're believing by faith and trusting that Jesus died for you. But what does that mean, kids? Doesn't that mean that mom and dad have responsibilities too? Of course it does. Ooh, so now they're wrapped up in this as well. So I see parents and grandparents... There's much that you are responsible for in this passage, that you have an obligation to raise your children up in the ways of the Lord. As the Shema would tell for us in Deuteronomy 6, that we are to love the Lord your God. You're going to teach these to your children and your children's children. People are not going to know without knowing the truths found in Him. But it's not just for parents. It's not just for those who are children. For all of us are put into the family of God. This passage is for all of us. As we talked about last time, Exodus 20 is not just an airdrop in only for a specific time and specific people. Again, it goes back to creation and it goes forward to today. This is for all of us. That we are to remember these things. That we are to see these things. And as we come into this passage and as we walk through a passage like this, there is a promise here for the first of the commandments that we're walking through. What about the rest of the commandments? Is there something that we should see in them as well? Well, of course there is. This is God's Word for us. So as we walk through God's Word for us and we see His Word, we actually see in these other commands of God that there is much that we are to keep. We know that because actually Jesus' words, when He gives us the Sermon on the Mount, when He gives those words in Matthew 5-7, through He looks back to this passage here and He quotes this passage. And he doesn't just quote it and keep it as it is. He amplifies it. And he says things that are really hard for us. Like he ties murder to anger. And he ties adultery to lust. And really he brings all things to idolatry. And not loving the Lord your God. So not keeping one of these commandments is really not keeping any of these commandments. So as we walk through this, there is a heaviness that we sometimes feel. We go, man, I want to keep these things. I want to please God. But we see these boundaries that are in front of us. And our relationship that should be helpful for our relationship with other people as well as with our God. And we look at this and say, man, I do not keep that perfectly. 
I struggle with keeping these things. I'm guilty of breaking one of these from time to time, and thus, I'm guilty of breaking all of them. That there is a command to love God and to love your neighbor, but we must be people who are striving after God. That we want to keep these things, that we delight in keeping these things, that we are working at keeping these things. That functionally gets us through a little bit of our first point of that which we see here before us, but I, I think... There's so much time that has been spent on the Ten Commandments, and there's much that you can see about each of these commandments. The sermon today, I would encourage you to go and, and, and look at other resources and other books, that if you have an interest and desire to study that of the Ten Commandments, there's a great book by Kevin DeYoung that's very short, about 100 pages, talking through the Ten Commandments. Highly recommend it to you. There are other resources as well that if you would like to know more about the Ten Commandments and how it is that we should keep them and what they mean, Come find me. I'd love to point you towards those resources, but that is a great one that I give for you today. But we need to see our second thing, because the Ten Commandments here actually were given to a very specific people that, as we talked about a little bit, where they're falling, where it is that they are existing, is that they're in the wilderness. They've seen some things. They've done some things. They've lived in such a way before their God that they know what He is capable of. They see what it is that he's done. There's an implication here in verses 18 through 21 that we should do exactly this. We should think properly about our God. To that end, I have two things that I think we should think about with God. In verses 18 and 19, we see his power. And in verse 20 and 21, we see fear. So we should think about the power of God, and we should also see that it is that we are called to fear him from his words and what it is that he calls us and tells us to do. He says that the fear of him should be before you as well as seeing these sheer powerful things that he does. What does he do in verses 18 through 19? But he reveals his power in creation. He shows how glorious he is. There's thunder and lightning and trumpets and the mountains smoking. And what happens? The people were afraid. I'd be afraid too. Not just because of thunder and lightning and those things. We get thunder and lightning all the time. But we have to remember these people and what had gone on just before that. That they were in Egypt. That they were in captivity. That now here they are, having received these Ten Commandments. And at the end of ten plagues that happened to the Egyptian people, that they said, let my people go, that there was actually death. That there was this, this troubling thing that I'm sure was hard for the people of God to reconcile and see that God was freeing them as actually there was death happening for others. That they were living in the certain promises of God, knowing that they're true, but also looking to this hard reality of what happened for the Egyptians. So as they're seeing these things and seeing powerful signs and outworkings of God of what He's doing here, after giving these Ten Commandments, they actually are afraid and fearful that God take their life. Well, he could. He's God. He owns all things. He owns their hearts. And actually here in these passages, it, it says exactly this, and I'm, I'm convinced this is the right way to read this. Some commentators will differ on how it is that we read this, but it says right there in verse 19, to Moses, you speak to us and we'll listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. They're remembering the very things that their hearts have seen, that their, their, their head has stored away and there's a fear that, that God will bring death to them. And some of it probably is exactly that, that they're looking back to what it is that they have seen and done uh, in, in that of Egypt. 
But they're looking at these Ten Commandments and they're saying, God, we cannot keep them. If this is the standard that you've set, we know that we fall short already. That there is a problem in looking at this that we see we know that we should think properly about you, God. That there's much that you call us to do. But your power that you are wielding is so great, so strong, so mighty that we are deserving of death. So would you send somebody for us? Would you send a mediator for us? Would you send somebody who is other? Because if we talk to you, we, we can't approach this mountain. There's darkness there at the edge. There's smoke. There's thunder. We can't keep these Ten Commandments. So what does God do? He sends Moses. He sends this mediator here that there's this picture and this beautiful reality of that of a mediator that we see in Exodus 20. That this powerful picture that, that we as Christians know and see and look to the longings of the reality of that of a mediator that we have found in Christ Jesus. We see this and know this because that's actually one of the things that so many have gone before us and pointed us towards and shown us that if we look to the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 8, which again, by way of note, we would love if you would come and hear more about the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 8 tonight. We're talking through this tonight and there's an opportunity to grow in our knowledge of Him and this exact idea of Christ as our mediator that Exodus 20 is reminding and showing us that there is a need for a mediator, that that of Moses, at this point, he, he is entering into this role, stepping between the people, and, the people of Israel and God, and he draws toward the mountain. They needed a mediator. They knew they needed a mediator. Just like our own hearts should see, we can't keep these perfectly as well. We're going to struggle to keep them, though we are called to keep them. That feels a bit like a paradox. That feels a little bit like something that within this of my own strength, I am going to be struggling and striving all the days of my life. But we see within this that we are truly guilty of breaking and that we had to have a mediator. It's not Moses. Moses points us to that of Christ. He is that type that, that, that points us to that of Jesus who is the mediator between the Father and the Creator and, and, and us as sinful man that God could have nothing to do with our sin. So he sent Jesus as our mediator. You need to see this in Exodus 20 as we're reading this passage that it's about this reality that not do we keep this perfect. We're called to. But when we fall short, we are to see and know that we have a mediator when we break one or all of these commands. And we could continue to spend a lot of time going through this and see that there is a lot of things that these people have experienced, that there's trauma, that there's hardship, that hearing from God in the way that they have and seeing the, the, the reality of these plagues that have poured out and now standing on, a, on, on a, the foot of a mountain and having God speak to them in this way, there's some trauma and hardships that may go with them all the days of their life, that there may be difficulties, that there are things that they experience, that in their mind, in their hearts, they are needing somebody to come and counsel them, to speak to them, to show them who God is, that He's totally holy, that He's totally set apart, that He is different than who it is that they are, but He's faithful to us, and to them. And just like them, we might be people that struggle and see that we have traumas as well, that there are hardships and things that maybe at times we feel like we're keeping the law pretty well. And other times we feel like we're keeping the laws horribly. 
But either way, we have for us before us a mediator, that of Christ Jesus. I'm encouraged as I was studying this passage and praying over this passage and thinking about it. I remembered back to, I believe it was Galatians, that there was a story that Martin Luther gave uh, in one of his commentaries where he talked about this, and I struggled to find it this week, so it's a rough paraphrase. But if you go through one of his commentaries all the way and find it, please let me know. I would love to know exactly where it's at. But Martin Luther said after 20 years of faithfully serving God as a minister, he was aware of the old, and these are the words that were his, clinging dirt of wanting to contribute something to salvation so that God will give me grace. So what Luther is saying, in exchange for Luther's holiness, he wants grace. After 20 years of ministry, this is Martin Luther. So for each of you, that should encourage you. I hope that encourages you. encourages me when I look to those of our, of our fathers in church history and see their struggles with sin and see their weakness, their pride, and what it is that each of them wrestled with all the days, sometimes of their life, after 20 years of being in ministry and a pastor. And he says, well, I, I still wrestle with my pride. I still wrestle with thinking that there's something I would love to bring but yet knowing that it is God who brings everything, that God is the one who sets the terms, that God is the one who tells us how we should think properly about Him, and how it is that when He speaks, we should observe the terms. In seeing and looking at these things, you may be at this moment thinking about your past traumas or sins or frustrations that feel like they're clinging dirt like Luther. But I would encourage you within this because I believe that we must point to these places when Scripture shows us that we should, that we are totally, completely free in Jesus. That there is nothing that you bring in and of yourself that your filthy rags, as it says, are what you bring. And He gives you His righteousness. And you're totally free. Free of everything of yourself. So to that end, we must see what is next. We must see that observing these terms are done on God's standards. And actually, functionally, there's a little bit of a break here. As we look at this passage in 22, it gets into a little bit of what is actually the next 10 chapters or so, I believe. That this, these, these couple of verses here show us and point us towards what it is that the people of God will receive in the next 10 chapters, which is laws and regulations and how it is that they should approach God. And then in chapters, I forget the exact chapter, 31 through 34, of Exodus, they received the written Ten Commandments. I, I should have the exact verse, but right in there we see this is what God is doing. He's setting these standards that He's telling what it is of how it is that He is speaking to these people and how it is that the, the Israelites should relate to Him. And I, as I prepared for this, I found that Calvin wrote a little bit about this, but not too many other commentators did. A lot of commentators skip over these verses. And so it left me a lot of time to think and to pray and to find myself, do I agree with Calvin? Do I agree with what it says about God's Word and His Scriptures? And I believe much of what he says is, is true and straight to the point. Do we look at these verses and we see something really important? That there's two things regarding what it is that God is speaking here in these couple of verses. We see that of idols in various forms. There's a couple of verses that are functionally talking about the hearts being drawn towards idols. I think there's a second thing that we see that as, as 2023 Christians, we go, what, what is that about? It's talking about hewn stones and exposed nakedness. I'm going to walk through both gently here for just a second. Because if we think about this, what he's functionally saying is exactly what it is that I started with our sermon. That each of these Ten Commandments are really brought up into this. That he is forbidding them to, to have idols. And actually, in just a short time, what is it that Israel is going to do? They're going to make a golden calf. 
Actually, it happens when they're receiving these Ten Commandments, that when they're receiving them, they create a golden calf, that they have idols, that they go about making these things. And so there's this statement here from God because it's directives that when God is speaking and he gives often more words in places that I think his people often struggle. Just kind of like us. That if we think about it as parents, sometimes I know that Wendling will struggle with certain things. My son, there are certain components that he struggles with and those are the things that I'll often reiterate again and again and drive to the point of saying these are the things that you need to know because I, as your parent, want you in the Lord to know who God is that you would see that he's holy. These are for your benefit. Just like each of you children in this room, again, for each of you youth, when your parents give you those things or those places that you go, oh, these are hard. Remembering that they are speaking on behalf of who God is. That in the Lord they should and are called to speak. That they are given as good leaders. Mom and dad are given for you, for your benefit, so that you can learn the things of God. Sometimes we don't always understand Sometimes we do understand, we just don't like it. And when we find those places or we look to those things, we still need to remember that we are to obey in the Lord, for this is right. It's in the Lord that we see these things, that we do these things. But that's the important thing that we see here, that we are to obey and we look to the terms of who it is and how God says that we are to keep these standards, that we are to do these things because this is who God is, what it is that He says that He's doing. Now these hewn stones and exposed nakedness, what on earth is it that we see and what do we do with these couple of verses? For this is God's inspired word. These are true truths for us that we see in this passage. Now there's a couple of things, and actually I think the next ten chapters, I spent a lot of time in the next part of of this book preparing for this sermon. Uh, One, Calvin did point me there, but two, I think that we need to know the context of what comes before and after as we come into one chapter like this. But in the next 10 chapters, one of the things that we actually see is that it talks about that of when you're making an altar that you should not cut or make man-made stones. So human stones are simply man-made stones. So think about in our yard when we want our stones to really look really nice and have that retaining wall. That's a hewn stone. It's another way of putting it. So we think about that and we say that that's functionally what he's saying is that I, I, I don't want you to have these hewn stones. Like you cannot have these hewn stones when you're making an altar to me because the tools that are used on this are profane. What is he saying here? Well, tools are man-made objects. Hewn stones becomes a man-made, man-crafted thing. That in crafting and taking these things, that he gives this prohibition against, what he's saying is actually, I am fully God, I am fully other, I cannot have my worship be mixed with man-made objects, with human things. That when we get later on and we see these passages and it talks about this, that's what he's saying is that I, because of the sin that exists from that of Adam and Eve, from the sin that came to us in the, in, in the garden, I am fully other. You need to see me as other. And actually, we look back to the garden as well for seeing that of nakedness. And, and, and we see that here where it says, do not go up the steps for you will be exposed. Well, he says this here because in a few chapters he gives the, what should the priests ultimately look like? Uh, they did not wear long Geneva gowns like we do here when we preach. The Geneva gown was actually uh, higher than the knee. So if I was wearing nothing except this gown, and I came up these stairs, it would be a little bit uh, too much, shall we say. It would be more than what we should see, or more than what it is that is being shown here. 
Because it goes back to the Genesis mandate. It goes back to what was actually spoken about in Genesis 3, that they were in need of covering. They being Adam and Eve were in need of covering for their sins. So God provided clothing and covering for them so that their sin would not be exposed. He provided the covering for them. So even here in this place, they're saying, if you were to go up and you were to do worship on your terms, the very things that God provided covering for, going back to that of the early, uh, early, earliest place that we see of the covenant that he made with his humans, you'd be exposed. So we see functionally here, though, that it's really important. For there's a lot that, one, we'd say, well, there is a bit of a picture of modesty, and I don't think that that's what's going on, but really the important thing that we see in this picture, in this place, is not that of modesty, but it is that of God's glory, that of God's holiness, that of him setting the terms. He is speaking to his people. So when he speaks to them, and just like when he speaks to us in his word today, we should observe it. For they are his words. They are other than our own hearts and what it is that we desire. For though we know that we are going to struggle with keeping these terms, we must remember as we come towards our end here that we have one who has kept it for us. That Jesus came in such a way that he is fully God. There was nothing within him that was sin. But he lived as a man and lived in such a way that he was tempted in the ways that we are tempted. Keeping the law, keeping it in such a way that we could not. But remember and rest in these places. Because as we look to this, there can be a bit of a, oh, when I'm called to keep these laws and these standards, which you are, when I fall short, I condemn myself. Or I go to those places of darkness or depression or frustration in my own life, in my own heart. And instead, in those places, there's an invitation to see that you have a mediator that is actually closing that gap, that the darkness of your own heart is dark. But Christ has made a way. That Christ has made it possible for you to approach the Father. That He has given you His righteousness. You must honor your God that you should keep these things. For He is holy. We truly are not. That there are unspeakable, unfathomable, unsearchable riches and joy, though, that comes when we do keep these things. Because what are we doing in those places when we try to keep these things? We are trying to be like Christ. We are not doing it out of obligation. We are doing it from a place of love. We're doing it from a place of service. We're doing it from a place of joy. So in keeping the Ten Commandments, it is really a place of joy of love. We must remember that as we do these things. So yes, do them. That is one of the things that we see. But in our weakness, we must see that Jesus truly has died for you. That He has purchased your salvation for all those who believe. This promise is for those Christians that I I think Steve Brown, a PCA pastor, RTS professor, and, and Key Life Ministries founder, says this really well. Uh, he brings it into common English, I think, about what happens when we are a Christian and how it is that we are called to keep these things. It's a bit of a long quote, but here is the quote. And I end with us here. When I became a Christian, two things happened. One, I got saved. Two, I got loved. 
I got loved so deeply. I want to please the one who loved me that much. I may not always please him and thus struggle at keeping his commands. In fact, often I run in the other direction because his love can really hurt. I chafe against him. I struggle to speak to him or not even speak to him. But I'll tell you what, he gave me, he gave me the gift that I want to please him. And when I don't please him, it hurts. If I really want to please him, I must know what pleases him. I must observe and keep his commands. I must read his word and then keep them. Love does that to you. This is why we must never, never soften the teachings of the laws of God. Because God is unapologetic in His holy standards. It is all in the important teaching of His love poured out for you in Jesus that you are given the chance to keep these. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank You this morning for Your Word. We thank You for the commands and commandments that You have given us. May they not be a burden, but may we do them from a place of joy. And when we see that we fall short, we thank you, Jesus, that you were the perfect keeper of the law and that you have made us right. That you have done what seemed impossible and unfathomable for our human minds. May we see that. May we trust that. May we rest in that today. It is in your perfect name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.